Welcome to another episode of Through the Web with me, your co-host Tosif. And me, Dagogo. That was an interesting uh, few first blooper yeah, we, we minutes. Even, we couldn't even start. We were laughing. For no reason whatsoever. Yeah, oh, maybe because I, I introduced it as cold fusion, yeah. even though it wasn't. That's, that's your thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, what's been going on? How's your week been? I think by now, every time I mention something health related, mm. people are going to be like, what's up with this, with this guys? Like, why do they have an health update every week? But unfortunately, I do have another health <laughs> update. Because the start of the week, I started off with a stomach bug, which like wiped me out for like three days. I've never had something like this happen to me. Um fevers and chills and it's like it was it was the worst it was the worst feeling and it all like it was almost like a earthquake it just came mm. it destroyed everything and then it left <laughs> and then i had to deal with the aftermath wow. um but uh, to be fair i kind of picked up pick, pick myself up almost as soon as i went down so um not too bad but that was uh the, the thing so the question is what did you eat Okay, so remember, I think a few weeks ago, I said I was into intermittent fasting now. Yeah. So what I think is happening is my body's like digestive system is also changing up. So one of those week, or like on the last weekend, I decided, you know what, I'll just let loose a little bit for a dinner. So when dinner, um, we had some traditional Bangladeshi stuff, which is generally full of a lot of spices and, and things, things of that sort. Um, and I guess my stomach couldn't take it. Mm. Um, and uh, it, I think it was just a bit overwhelming uh, for me to take uh, all of that at once. So maybe it's just my body's actually changing with the intermittent fasting kind of stuff. And I got to take it slow and pace myself as we right. as we go. Uh, but at least that's my my theory anyway. Okay. And it just sounds okay. logical. But other than that, it was, it was, it was an okay week, uh, just this recovery. Um, I am... Uh, editing slash writing a book. So for one of my um, media companies, which deals with football, uh, I don't talk about it a lot on this podcast, but I run one of those things. Uh, it's called Plantic. And essentially I've been, you know, the World Cup's coming up. So we decided to do like a, like a book. It's more of an anthology. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of anecdotal stories of different people around the world who are, you know, uh, into that, that world of football. And uh, it's been uh, quite quite a lot of work. Uh, I think we understand, underestimated how much work it goes into writing a book as you would be able to, I guess, uh, attest in a second. Uh, but you know, you, you wrote your book as well, New Thinking. Um, mm-hmm. So anyone who hasn't gotten it, we'll, yeah, we'll leave uh, it. A- definitely check it out. Um, yeah, I did re- write this book. It was a huge undertaking. Three years ago, four years ago now? Uh, published in 2018. So yeah, four years now. Um, but yeah, I start, stopped writing at the end of 2017. But <clears throat> Essentially, it was like a, a very core essence, or it was the very core essence of the channel, like technology and how it's progressing and history and how that factors in into humanity and, you know, um, talking about the stories of the people that invented things around us every day and what stories drove them to do that and what conditions they were under. And, yeah, so it was, um, you know, from the 1700s to 2017. Wow. So it was, um, yeah, it was a lot. That yeah, was a lot. I, I, I can imagine now because at first we were like, oh, okay, 50 to 60 different stories. We have mm-hmm. a big team, real, you know, group of editors. But even then, but I guess we are kind of doing all this in six months, which I, I had nine. You had nine. So, so yeah, even, yeah, similar kind of, yeah. kind of time span. So I can imagine 
uh, the amount of work that that would go into it. But you know, for those of who are, who are listening in only, um, do check out the the link in the description. Also, if you're watching, um, I, I would imagine most of you are from the Cool Fusion channel. But if you haven't checked out the the book, do check it out on the link in the description. It's called New Thinking mm-hmm. um, yeah, New by Thinking. the Go Go All Trade. Yep. Um, but yeah, how's your week otherwise? Yeah, um, pretty good. Um, just been working on yeah a few videos. Um, three in the pipeline at the moment. At the moment, but uh, one that I just finished was on uh, Google putting an AI brain into a robot body, which, uh, yeah, it was extremely interesting to, to look into that one. And, and it's kind of, you know, it's actually a, in computer science and the field of robotics, this is a hallmark research um, event. So uh, it was cool to, to see that and learn how it all works and what, what's in store for the future. What was the most, I guess, special thing about, like, like how how's this... Um uh, a cutting edge thing in your eyes. Yeah, because the, the main thing is um, language learning models. So you know how we have GTP3 who's like um, you can converse with it and talk. <clears throat> so things on that order, like with, you know, um, t- uh, trained on hundreds of billions of words and that kind of thing across the internet, they've only been around for about two years. Um, so they haven't really had um, a chance to see what they can do. So this is the first time we combined something like that with a, a robot. So actually putting a real mind into the robot body and then it's able to actually understand tasks. You can say, can I've spilled my drink. Can you get me a bottle of water? And then it'll, it has to know what a bottle of water is, where it could be, how to pick it up and bring it back to you and, and what that all means in context. So the, the interesting thing is, um, so it can, it can execute tasks um, 74% of the time. Like, uh, or it picks the right task to do 84%, but can execute it 74% of the time. So it's actually, yeah, that it, they were saying that's a 50% upgrade to anything else that's out there just mm-hmm. by using this language model. And it's going to increasingly get better um, as the language model improves. And um, the other interesting thing about it is that they trained, so that, that there's two things. So there's the language model and the robot body. But the body they actually trained in virtual space. So um, instead of it trying to pick up a bottle and saying, oh, I can't do it, um, and and kind of having to train how to grasp things and everything in the real world, they just simulate all of this. So they can run this like, so they can run this like really rapidly, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of times or millions of times um, without having to like waste time doing that in the physical world. So yeah, bringing all of these things together, it just... um, yeah, it's something that's that's brand new. Uh, do you ever watch um, the, the the Jetsons? Uh, well, I know of it quite right. well. Yeah, uh, I watched it as a kid. So, uh, and, and and obviously there was this part for those who have watched you know that there's uh, uh, like actual robots that that talk like humans and mm. and pretty much part of the family. Um, obviously, we're quite a bit away from from that point, but it does seem like that would be almost like an ultimate commercial solution for stuff like this. Is you'd have a, a helping hand around the house, or that's what a lot of sci-fi movies and that's what they portray. Have but I, I don't think that's where it's initially going to go. So I think this aged care. I think that's number one, <clears throat> mainly because of the economics of it. Because um, you know the baby boomers are retiring and that the, there's just a huge wave of this population that's going to be elderly and there's mm. nowhere near enough people to take care of them so in japan they've started trying like you know rudimentary uh, methods of this using robotics to help the elderly but i think that you know with something like this where you can actually converse with it and it understands what you're trying to say and can do the task i think that's probably the number one industry that will see this first and then you get people with disabilities and then maybe even um, cleaning up rubbish or like cleaning up a uh, toxic waste or waste that's dangerous to humans and that kind of thing. I think we'll see that first before any 
home commercial, commercial yeah, use. use. Yeah. Um, that that actually makes sense because obviously that's where the need would, would be first on those on those industries before I guess we could have one around the studio helping <laughs> us and 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 drinks and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, the interesting thing about the the whole movement is also I guess there will be a lot of skeptics uh, with the whole iRobot <laughs> mm-hmm. feeling in the back of their head. Oh, what if you know is this the first step towards you know actual physical robots being present? Who, which can understand mm. natural language and obviously with, with AI and ML, things mm. can potentially take interesting turns. Mm. Um, do, do you think, and I think there's, you know, Elon Musk and Zuckerberg have always had, had debates about their point of views with, with this kind of stuff about mm. AI taking over, um, especially with now with the physical being, uh, being introduced in our daily lives. Mm. What, what do you say to that? Um, I think it, is a matter of who is in control of these robots. Because Boston Dynamics, for example, so Mm. their spot dog, that can go out and it can, you know, now it's got like radar and whatever. You can control this thing and you can say, oh, like, you know, there's this uh, radioactive waste, I want it cleaned up, et cetera, and you control it to do that. Um, And it has like things where it can balance and help you out in in doing so. So that's a good use. But then... I did see some images of like a police department in um, Chicago or something that had some had bought some of these Boston Dynamics doors and they could like, you know, I mean, dogs and they they were tr- kind of trying to see if they could use that in a police sense to like kind of, you know, um, yeah, get into a house or something yeah. like that. And I think that's that's a bad use case of it, but you know, it, it can be good and bad. And I think it's just who's in charge, a matter of who's in charge um, that matters the most if you're talking about AI just going rogue and, and killing everyone, I don't like, I still don't see it's a, it's an entertaining idea in terms of um, sci-fi, but in terms of it growing an intention to, to hurt humans, I just, there's no, no evidence so far that shows me that that's a direction that it has to go. Um, but just on an interesting point in terms of the language model. So, um, you know, in the video I use the term AI brain and then people might be like, Oh, what are you talking about? Why are you saying brain? It's obviously not. But there was a research paper, and I put this in the video, that came out um, a month ago, I think. And it, it actually showed that when you compare the, the patterns of measured brain activity from humans and the neural activations within neural networks, they actually map each other when it comes to recognising words and the patterns in, in speech. So it's actually behaving like a brain. It's, brain. Not, it's not just a, a, a misnomer or something. So right. I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, for sure. Um, I guess on on the on on this point, the uh, the final thing that I want to kind of uh, track back to is is the Jetsons again. The guy, main guy, mm. um, he was actually born in 2022 July something. So in the cartoon that came out in in 80s uh-huh. or something. So he, and then and there was like memes going around like you know today's his birthday. I think it was July 21st, 2022. Interesting. So when the which was like a few months <laughs> so imagine, ago. Imagine so, like when he, like when is the age in the cartoon that we're exactly. At so so he was around. Well, he had a whole family and yeah, kids and stuff. 40s, so it's like thirties or forties. So, so forty years from now, roughly. Look, I reckon we're on track, man. We're on track because in, in the video I say like fifteen to twenty years, we, we a robot should be able to replace someone at making a burger. Right. I, I think that's kind of where I'm at in my my just just my thinking. Mm. So yeah, we, we could be on track. track. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, other than that, anything um, I guess interesting you watched over this week? 
Yeah, um, there was a video on Hyundai or Hyundai, or however people like to, to pronounce it, because <laughs> don't get angry at me. Um, the uh, Vision N car, I think it is. Um, so this came out a, a bit ago, but it was a Top Gear review on it. And man, like it's so cool. So it's like a DeLorean mixed with like, I don't know, some um, kind of retro futuristic styling. So it had like LED lights that was, and everything was just tastefully done. So it's essentially an electric car, but it has a hydrogen fuel cell um, that powers it. So um, yeah, it was just taking it out on the road and, and uh, around the track and everything. And he was just like, this is, this is incredible. Like it looks, it looks super cool. It's not just like an electric car that looks normal or one that looks goofy. It's like, just, it, have you seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. Maybe I, maybe I can show you live. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. It does look like the DeLorean. Mm. But then all the the rear lights are like LEDs, um, oh. and then it just looks it just looks really cool. So anyway, yeah. So it's kind of um, talking about that and driving and taking on the road. And essentially, um, he was making the point that Hyundai or Hyundai they've they've really they've really come up recently, and they have. Um, or some people in the comments were also saying that they have this particular point in time to actually reinvent invent themselves as a performance electric car company because you know all the other car companies, they're kind of like switching to electric in, in one way or another, but they already have this legacy of, oh, this is the new thing that they're trying to do. Mm. But Hyundai, they're just coming out and really kind of pushing the boundaries. They're like designing way better. They're like putting all these features in there that are like, yeah, quite unique. So for example, the second car that he drove, um, it actually had gearing. So it had a paddle shift, um, but it used, it used it in such a clever way. So it was like, you know, you can shift up the gears and down, but also if you downshift, it uses the regenerative braking as like engine braking. Mm -hmm. So he just said it felt like a very responsive um, uh, manual car. So having that in an electric car, I've never seen before, but it's like Hyundai doing this. It's like, yeah, very interesting. So it's um, not a concept car. Uh, the second one is not. Right. This one was a concept car. So okay. the, the, sorry, the first one, the Vision N. Yeah. And that was, I think there's only one of those, but he's like, please, please put this into production. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just thought that was very interesting. Um, kind, kind of reminds me of, um, you know, when everyone thought uh, Japanese cars were, were not that great. And then they kind of surprised everyone back in the 80s and, and 90s. So um, yeah, I, I just thought it was very interesting. And I, I'm even thinking of doing a video of like how Hyundai is trying to reinvent itself. So that's, that's probably the main thing. How about you? Um, one video I watched was uh, about Vice. So the Vice media company. So why Vice will not exist in- Five know. years, have you seen that? I, I saw the thumbnail, I haven't clicked right. on it. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, the video was, was, was quite interesting as to how uh, Vice, the, the media company, for those who don't know, uh, they started off as a very edgy, uh, very interesting journalism uh, view, like, you know, journalism perspective company, which- would make very certain types of topics, uh, especially documentaries, that we wouldn't generally see on mainstream media. And I think that's what gave them the rise, like in the alternative media world as well, um, they would be going to like war war zones and, and war-drawn places, like um, also covering very intense um, drug zones as well. Uh, and, and they wouldn't just cover it for the sake of it. They would actually talk with people there. Um, very, very cool documentary stuff. Um, and, and that saw a huge rise in their popularity, especially when the internet was, was, was becoming a mo like more and more of a, a vehicle for, for content like that. And, and this is like, I'd say early, 
into mid mid 2000s uh late 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 2000s roughly um and then around in 2010s when when buzzfeed type stuff started becoming more and more prominent um they i think they got acquired by Rupert Murdoch um Rupert Murdoch's company so Rupert Murdoch for those who don't know Vice did or BuzzFeed? Vice. Okay. Um, so for those who don't know who Rupert Murdoch is, like a media mogul, um, and and he owns like you know Sky News and uh, a few other like I think also Fox News as well, lots of newspapers around the world. So this was obviously a way of of adding yet another kind of uh, piece uh, to sway a certain um, opinions or at least to to get a new new audience, new target market, right? Um, and that. Um, uh, acquisition or at least investment. I don't know if it was a full acquisition. I don't think it was. I think it was more of a, of a uh, um, investment into the company. Um, and and that changed the way Vice started operating. So they would st- stop doing a little bit of, of the edgy stuff, but the edge would be less political and more clickbaity to almost match up with what BuzzFeed was doing. And also, I guess, because of political kind of news being covered, there were certain... Uh, I guess, pressure on them to not cover certain topics and certain news. Um, and also they got uh, an investment from Disney down the line. And that also changed the pathway for Vice. So now they're doing like really weird kind of video topics um, that are also edgy, but nothing like what they used to do in the past. So things like, I don't know, like, like the, 10 weirdest butt plugs or some, some, something <laughs> like it's, that's how, how weird some of their videos are. I'm not even kidding. And, 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 uh, the, the video that I watched was essentially going around that idea of, um, that how vice will not last in the next five years or how little cystic is in the next five years, because just how the, 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 the road that they're traveling is completely taking them off the content map. There's no more of that original core identity that they had built. Their audience is also, all the Reddit forums about them is, is their audience saying that oh, I used to love Vice, but now they're doing all this weird videos, weird listicles kind of stuff. Mm. Um, they still have like a few hits here and there, but nothing like what they used to be. And, and for me, I thought the video was interesting because I feel that the world of, of content right now um, pretty much all the big names are more or less going through something something similar. And, and I feel that um, when you make like a media company, it's very hard to sustain beyond a certain kind of shelf life unless you evolve into something that's either to your identity or the built niche that you've built. But then as soon as you want to start pleasing shareholders and trying to go mainstream, you need to hit numbers. And to do that, you have to play the trending game which a lot of companies that have started doing it have started seeing a lot of failure, like BuzzFeed, for example. Um, nowhere on my newsfeed anymore, but in 2017, 2016, it was everywhere. Um, same thing with a lot of other other media companies as well. And and I thought it was very interesting um, watch to see how, how I feel it's going to be true unless they make some changes and also how investments aren't necessarily a, a good thing um, because you're looking at, oh, $400 million injection into a company, Valuation rises up. I think they were up, valued up to like a billion dollars at some mm. point as well, which is incredible for a media company that focuses just on the internet. Mm. Um, and then re- recently Disney said that they, I think, invested 400 something million and they've already lost like 300 something million dollars on that 
on that investment alone. Mm. And they, I think public said, or I think there was a leak that said um, that they're not gonna recoup that money. They think they're never, never gonna it's recoup that money. It's a loss, they're gonna write it off. Um, so yeah, th- th- that to me was quite eye-opening, um, or at least um, establishes some of the belief I have for, for about media companies that are, that are growing right now. Yeah, I think it is a, a rapidly evolving and changing landscape. And yeah, I, I think core audiences can tell when you're trying to chase a trend or when you're trying to do something just to force yourself to remain popular. Like, it's kind of like, well, what do you do? Like if you mm. want, if you want to grow, that's kind of the best way to do it. But then you alienate the people that are, are there. So um, yeah, it's not, it's not an easy, easy path to go down, but I, I still do think like a, a video like 10 best butt, butt plugs could be avoided. So um, yeah, no, no prizes there. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, and I think um, it's it's true for a lot of lot of creators as well, individual creators as well. I think they personally struggle with that a lot. I'm sure you've you've gone through it mm-hmm. yourself over the last ten years. I started doing listicles, yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, and and um, I think it's just uh, even for creatives as well. If you look at musicians, they also go through the same thing. How do I chase what's on TikTok trending right now, or do I just stick to my guns and, and make space, you know, EDM? <laughs> stuff that only uses Mars sounds that gets picked up on the ISS. Um, <laughs> very specific. It gets like seven, <laughs> that, that, that's my band by the way, that's my uh, thing. It gets seven plays uh, a year on, on SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I think I think that's that's a common thing. And I think overall, uh, as you, before we move on to the next topic, I think overall uh, people I think need to see as media companies or entities that they will have a shelf life. It, it's very rare to last, you know, spans through decades and decades, like the New York Times or like the older traditional media. Yeah, uh, but that, that's interesting. Like if if we think about um, Disney, for example, they're, they're a media company have lasted yeah. like, yeah, better part of a century. But um, yeah, with, I think in the online space, if you're born online, it's quite hard to, to sustain because things are, moving way faster. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's not good news. <laughs> I mean, no cold fusion and next, next week is shut it up. <laughs> or cold fusion plus plus new version. Um, but, but I think there's one of two ways that you can go about it. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's either you keep doing it, you secure like some sort of um, plan for the next five, 10, 15 years that, okay, I'll just do some core, types of content that my people will like and just I'll be happy with it mm-hmm. as it is. Or you think, oh, how can I actually work like Disney where you're acquiring companies left, right and center and trying to grow and grow and grow and grow. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of individual creator and creator companies have tried that um, in the past. And then you've individual creators like PewDiePie. I think he just literally um, posted a video last week mm-hmm. saying why I didn't quit. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's this long video. It was a personal journey and stuff like that. And and he's still making videos, but he's not the same PewDiePie he, he, he was. He said, yeah, he's basically retired, semi retired, and he's just doing it for for fun. That's what kind of where you want to be. Like you don't. Care yeah, exactly. Uh, to the point where you know you're you're just you, you've got a secure future. You've got enough money in the bank for taking care of, of your re, quote unquote retirement, and you're just doing stuff for fun. I think that would be an ideal goal. For, for a lot of people. But yeah, I think it's it's a tough space Cause I, cause to navigate. I'm, I'm trying to think, so like maybe LTT, um, if you want to call him a media company, 
Linus Tech Tips. All right. Yeah, yeah so they're, they're doing all right. Um, I think I've seen it as well. They've been around for a long time um, and they're online based as well. But they're not, you know, it's not like huge, huge or exactly. like it's not like Vice or Vox, like house that's right. brand, brand names. But yeah, um, I guess that's probably the, the best way. It's like apart from acquiring companies, basically just sticking to what you're doing and like evolving enough that it's not exactly. stale, but not alienating as 100%. well. 100%. And, and I think that's the challenge for for any creator, artists, media companies, just staying in that um, cross section in that mm-hmm. Venn diagram, you know, still keeping your current audience happy, chasing trends a little bit, mm-hmm. but not too much that you alienate your mm-hmm. things and still making a good income. I think that, that middle ground. Yeah. I guess the, in a way that's kind of what I've been trying to do. Yeah. Like, you know, science, technology, business and history, anything in, in that. And that's, that's quite wide and broad and I understand that, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like it keeps things fresh. It's not always like you're the guy that does this or exactly. you're the guy that does that. But then on YouTube, except for recently, I, I have a theory, but I think on YouTube, like the algorithm totally got confused and what, what the hell to recommend people because of my dis- <laughs> disparate <laughs> like uh, videos. Because I, I went to an um, event in 2019 and I remember I was talking to Jabril's. I don't know if you know him. He's like a, um, he kind of makes like, funny videos, but it's kind of like coding and AI and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, but he was talking to a YouTube rep and then um, they're talking about recommendations and, and, you know, subscriber pushing and all that kind of stuff. And then he came, uh, Jabril's asked him a question for me, like saying, if your channel has different content on it, like how does YouTube know where to categorize you and, and, you know, recommend your, your content to, and he didn't have a clear answer, a straight answer for that. So I think, it wasn't really built for that. But recently I've been noticing more that if you watch one video of a particular channel, like others will just start coming mm. up more than it, it always used to happen, but a little more than it used to. So I'm kind of hoping that that kind of plays into my favor as in like it's cold fusion. You probably might like this because maybe it's in a similar area, but it's not like yeah, completely. Yeah, and, and, and that's why a lot of um, bigger media entities or even individual creators create separate channels where they yeah. can ex- expand. Like for example, this podcast is a cold fusion brainchild, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like you could have decided to put it on your main channel. Yeah. No, but that's, then that would have- too different. Exactly. That's yeah. too different, right? Yeah. But uh, ideally you could have simply had, had like different shows. Like think of a TV network, like they have- different shows throughout the day, right? Um, and, and I think uh, that's why a lot of creators now have like all these different kind of, you know, yeah, personal I, channels, I, vlog channels. Yeah, and I, I've, I've been, I've been toying with that for, for many years as in just splitting it off into cold fusion technology, cold fusion business. But the way to run it, it's going to be so much. Yeah. It's building from scratch. So I think what you're doing is, is, is still... Yeah, still okay for for now until you decide to <laughs> change things up again. Um, I just want to run past a few comments from the last video. Uh, just just a quick few few shout outs. So so Vic says that's actually amazing that both of you guys um, focus or discuss or create videos on topics based on your curiosity and passion. Let people talk whatever they want to talk. But I believe your way of putting things on the platform is going to grow organically and uh, would pull up a lot of crowd soon. Um, be real like uh, through the web and cold fusion. <laughs> so I think this was in regards to some of the comments you received about be, be, real. be real yeah. uh, stuff. So it's good to see some, some core fans kind of reacting to. Yeah. To no, that, I, that I appreciate that. Cause like, yeah, it's literally every video that I make is something that I'm interested in and passionate about. So, um, yeah, I'm not uh, Do Kwan or someone that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna scam me. With a, with a, or uh, Jake, Jake. Uh, Iris Warren. 
Oh. <laughs> you you want to get into boxing ring soon? Oh, it seems like you want to get into YouTuber boxing. <laughs> you want the beef, right? Um, <laughs> Maybe we cut that. <laughs> Maybe not. Who knows? Um, but another um, another comment on that be real note was from RWB. He says unreached two videos about be real, but I found the app, downloaded it. And after much angst of signing up, I found it incredibly boring. And within a week, I abandoned the effort to even embrace the app. <laughs> that's what I've been talking about as yeah. well. I think that's likely going to go down the route if, if Beeriel sticks to this, orig- mm. you know, this very core idea of not being a social media app. Mm. That's exactly going to happen. Mm. They'll still have some users, uh, but it's not going to be enough to justify as a company that makes money. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think that's yeah exactly right. Like if they don't do anything and keep going down this path, it's going to be. Yep. But if they manage to get a bunch of celebrities, get them on this platform so people can follow them, and then you can see these celebrities' everyday lives in a way that you've never seen before, I think something like that could have some pull. But it's you know. But that becomes more of a broadcast than a creator platform because now I'm here to consume content mm. uh, about others rather than create myself. Mm. Um, and the way a lot like TikTok thrives is that you are the creator, you are the consumer uh, kind of relationship. Same with YouTube in a lot of ways, even though majority aren't creators. Um, I guess that's for every social platform. Like what proportion is a creator versus just consuming? Like, like say other ones you can still engage with the content on Be Real, there's, it just type, feels type messages. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand you know, what the, you're the saying. community aspect. The, it's essentially go like you know flicking through a channel again, like, like TikTok, um, where you can't even communicate or engage or anything like that. So, but but that is a novel idea, and I think we talked about that last time around as well. Like that's probably the only way Be Real could potentially make it more interesting because that's something you don't get access to, right? Like, okay, what's what's the life of X Y Z like? You know, if you are, for example, bringing football examples here but if you're a young 14 15 year old dude who wants to make it to the professional world you'd so love to yeah. see you know what your superstar heroes are doing in their daily lives you know so um so yeah i, I agree that that that's probably a way but yeah, yeah. yeah. it's the, very very like slim chance of success comment from rwb really made he also made another comment about that he started watching a, a series called 1996 uh sorry Original Nancy television series called Dark Skies. I don't know. I've I've heard about that one. Oh wait, say that again. So he started begin. He started watching. Um, was the original nineteen ninety six television series titled Dark Skies? I, I haven't heard that one either. But um, and uh, someone else also made a comment about the Lord of the Rings TV show. So David, I think is what you guys think of Amazon's Lord of the Rings TV show. If you've I watched haven't, it. I haven't, I haven't watched it either. Uh, but it's good to see people are, are interested in what we, what we watch and then re- 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 um, re- oh, stuck recommending stuff yeah. to us. Um, but if you are, if any of you are looking to watch stuff, I would still go back to saying succession is, is the show to watch. They won the best, um, drama at the Emmys as right. well. Okay. Um, but the actor from Squid Game won the best actor, which was just like, wow. Um, like he's a good actor, don't get me wrong. He's, he's very good, but the people who he was up against um, just didn't make sense. So very good actor though. He's, he's done some really good stuff elsewhere. Um, going across uh, to probably the biggest um, story of, of this week is the Ethereum merge. Mm. Um, and we've been getting requests to talk about this for, for a while now. Um, 
especially I think from someone called uh, Sunith Kumar. He commented on the last video uh, to talk about this thing. So, so Ethereum's biggest ever upgrade um, just happened uh, this week uh, in what the industry experts are calling a game changer for the entire crypto sector. So all the signs so far with the merge um, has been a success. So for those who don't know what the merge is all about, essentially it is designed to cut the cryptocurrency's energy consumption by more than 99%. So the network previously was using about 23 million megawatt hours per year. Sorry, can I just add a little fact in? Yeah. Vitalik said that this merge will cut worldwide energy consumption by 0.2%. That is incredible. Yeah. I, I had no idea it was that big. 0.2%. Yeah. Um, and just to reiterate, so previously um, they were using about 23 million megawatt hours per year. After the merge, it's expected to use 2,600 megawatt um, hours per year. Mm. So from 23 million mm. to 2,600. That is incredible. Yeah. So, so that I think that holds up mm. to what, what like... Um, Vitalik is, is, is saying. Um, and um, overall as well, uh, so for those who know what what this will actually do, so the merge, uh, with the merge, the Ethereum is getting rid of a mechanism called proof of work that uses the amounts of computing power to validate blocks of uh, new transactions. So proof of work required crypto miners to solve, you know, technical puzzles com that are in, in, uh, in computational puzzles with a very, energy intensive process um, in order to validate new blocks on the chain and earn new tokens in, in return. So now the Ethereum uses a new mechanism called proof of stake that gets rid of the puzzles and mining. Instead, the validators need to stake some of their tokens for a chance to validate new blocks and will be rewarded with the, with the tokens. So essentially, it's, it'll still, you know, you still need computers to store data and, and verify transactions. It's just the amount of, of energy use to do that has drastically changed mm -hmm. and uh, obviously the market's been responding positively to it because so far it has been a success but the next few days and weeks will be more crucial as uh, you know to see if it actually works in a mm -hmm. longer term kind of thing um and uh while bitcoin's still going down uh ethereum just gone up a little bit i think 3.6 percent since we last spoke um sl slowing a little bit of signs since the since the i guess crypto showdown that destroyed crypto stuff to red everywhere. <laughs> I don't know how what to phrase it. <laughs> what is that? Exactly. I'm just, you know, using words. <laughs> okay. That's, that's good. Um, so the, the Ethereum. Um, so I haven't looked like deeply into this at all. So is there a fork of any kind? Like, is there two chains now? Like Ethereum, classic there is already a theory in classic but like you know one chain that does something and then it's forked off into another chain that's this new i haven't stake. done enough research to okay. be able to answer that uh but i guess we could do that um, um maybe make a video out of it Who knows? Mm, a crypto video uh, i don't know <laughs> i don't know that's a slippery slope yeah <laughs> i've done my crypto explaining days i think uh but yeah i think i think that that's a huge um thing i think what will be interesting to see is how the wider market uh, responds to it because one of the biggest things that, that crypto critics have been always vocal about is the use of energy and resources and how much it actually impacts um, climate change in general. So, or could potentially impact climate change in general. So yeah, I think um, that's a, a huge story of the week. Do you have anything else to add to that? Um, not really. Like I think... Um well, yeah, if it works, I think it'll 
definitely be a good thing for crypto as a whole because Ethereum obviously is the second largest cryptocurrency. But um, yeah, the time that it's coming in this uh, time of complete pessimism and you know it's a bear market and no no one wants to really touch crypto at this point. But I, I think it's good. Like it's it's good for the future and. Um, yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes. Yeah, and I think it's 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 good. It's good in the sense that it's happening at this time because mm. it also shows intent from yeah. some of these believers that they don't really care about the market. They're they're in it for the, for the, the, the belief, the vision yeah. Yeah. that they they've had, right? And I think um, that's what you want with with people who want to be be driven in, in this space. Uh, so so I, I, think, I think it's good that they're still kind of going ahead with their own mm-hmm. plans regardless of what's yeah, happening no, in the market. I guess like this this shows it's not just like for some marketing hype or something yeah. like to push it up even more. But um, yeah, I, I think I think it'll be interesting. I, I hope, I wish, wish the project all the best. And yeah. yeah, maybe we'll touch base in a, in a few weeks to see how it's going. But on that note of, of um, climate change, uh, do you know about Patagonia? The brand... So it's a clothing brand. The the founder of Patagonia, um, Yvonne Schoenard, I think that's how you uh, pronounce his name. So he um, built or founded the company almost 50 years ago. Uh, and he's been a billionaire since. Uh, and he is giving over the company to f- help fight climate change. Essentially, uh, he released um, a statement last week, uh, this week actually, uh, with the title, Earth is now our only shareholder. Uh, is, is was his title very interesting, very marketing savvy angle. Uh, but the uh, idea was that the, the label has, um, is is going to go ahead to give away any sort of profit that the company has um, all the way to fighting um, uh, climate change. So it's I think it's going to go in two ways. One's going to go to a trust that does that and one's going to go to a non-profit organization that does that. And he has so completely- yes. Um, and he has given up all his um, shares as well. So he wanted to literally just say, you know, like he's not a businessman. He's, he's always said that. Um, and, and even though he had like billions to his name, uh, he's proving a point here saying that uh, I've, I've never been in it for the money. Uh, it's always been a passion thing for me. So he was a craftsman. And, and so for those who don't know, Patagonia basically makes... Um, High, not high end, but but essentially uh, uh, traveling gear um, for 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 hiking, for um, doing like nature intensive mm. um, treks and things of that sort. Um, and essentially, it it built up a cult following over the over the last few decades, uh, especially for the sustainable approach to things. So he's always been a craftsman, and and even in the interview, somebody said, "Oh, you know," he asked asked him a question that. Um, this has been, you've been doing this for so many years. There's part of you that is a businessman, right? It's like, no, I hate the business side of things. I'm a craftsman. I want to make things. I want to do nice things. And, and the business is a byproduct of that. Um, and I think he's just sticking to the, to those words where it's like, you know, this is what the brand that I've built. This is what the brand that, that has has always believed in. And, and I'm just sticking to my words. So very interesting move um, for the company, for him. And the fact that, you know, he's literally wiped off billions of his, <laughs> of, of his name is quite an interesting uh, move for, for a lot of companies to, I guess, maybe even take, take note of. Yeah. Uh, but I guess for other companies, if they, they look at the sales numbers and there's a huge bump and they'll be like, Hey, we could do this too. Except and there will be, except we're not going to give the profit, all the profits away. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah. It's like whatever the, the yeah. Anyway, but, um, yeah, I think that's uh, 
that's that's good. Like uh, a person actually building up a huge company and then just you know um, passing passing that success forward and you know putting it into something that he believes in. I think that's um, something that we could all yeah. And, and I think he also kind of <coughs> subheaded it, saying he he's reimagining capitalism. And I think that's an interesting way of phrasing it. I think uh, obviously there's the whole capitalism versus socialism debate and all that kind of stuff. But the idea of that capitalism is like 100% black and white, good or bad. Um, obviously, I think you and I both think that, that there's everything, there's a gray area. Uh, and, and the fact that he's thinking it's reimagining it, um, but still sticking to some core foundational things. Because if he hadn't had this business, he probably wouldn't have been able to fight uh, his, his idea of, of climate change, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he's being able to do that because I guess capitalism helped him get to that point, but not at the cost of what he he believes in, right? Yeah. So in some ways, like oh, now he's got enough ammunition to help help solve things that he's initially built built mm. things on. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting take. I think there should well, there probably is already a lot, but like yeah, there should be more of that. The people who have more than enough to live with with for their family and their generations to come, like. Yeah, just giving a bit back is yeah very, very. I think it's a very good thing. Yeah, and I think um, the idea of of also giving away this this huge amounts of profits uh, that that he's he's made. Uh, I think it was three billion pounds, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, doesn't doesn't like you know like I've never seen anything like this uh, before. So it'll be interesting to see. How how this actually impacts the sales numbers? Because mm. well, then they were quite good with the marketing as well. They had a campaign called "Don't Buy This Jacket." Like literally, they listed like this is how much it'll it actually cost in terms of resources mm. um, if you actually buy this jacket for it to be shipped to you. And that was a whole marketing campaign. Obviously, people bought the jacket, but the idea was that don't buy this jacket. And it was a whole marketing campaign. It's, it's very unique mm. the, the way they, they've, they've operated all these years. So Interesting. Yeah. But, sorry, this is not to relate it back to me, but uh, in this last video that I did, instead of saying, if you like this video, please like and subscribe, I said, if you like this video, don't bother subscribing. <laughs> <laughs> because, and I said, but instead, just go check out other videos on the on the channel. Because, like, I don't know, everyone does it, and it's like... <laughs> I have enough subscribers. It's, it's fine. Like it's just yeah, and and I think YouTube. Um, and we're gonna go off for challenge again. But yeah. but YouTube these days, I think somebody said that the subscribers don't matter. It's yeah, the views that matter. Yeah. Um, I think subscribers give you credibility. It gives you a sense of community. Um, and I think having big numbers also helps mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, but for technical reasons, for entire technical purposes views matter more than subscribers. Like, that's that's a better way, to, better way to put it than saying subscribers yeah. don't matter. Yeah, because uh, I guess what, what I was trying to do with that was um, also like to s- get them to watch other videos on the channel because YouTube loves that. If, yeah. you, if you keep watching, that's what, you know. But anyway, go on. Yeah, well, on that note, watch other videos of Cold Fusion through the web. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, don't, don't subscribe. Uh, no, please subscribe. No, no, do, do subscribe <laughs> as well. well. We are not nearly enough as much, uh, many subscribers as, as we want for this podcast channel. Um, next one is about a Harvard-backed startup uh, who built an EV battery, electric vehicle battery. So, so um, thanks to Adden Energy, it's a firm that's uh, backed by Harvard University. Um, they have created an electric vehicle battery that you can fully charge in just three minutes. 
and it has a 20 year lifespan. So in other words, it'll last more than twice as long as batteries made by woolen manufacturers. How did I know? This is a video I should have been doing. Dude, tell me about this. This is right down my alley. All right. Yeah. So essentially they've- the Wait, does it, is it theoretical? Does it work? Like, is it, is it okay, just, just tell me. <laughs> yeah. So essentially they've, uh, it's a, uh, as I mentioned, it's Harvard University backed uh, startup firm. Um, I think it's, it's a proof of concept they've done that works. So three minute full charge, uh, where they're at now is deploying it to vehicles that actually will, will work on the, on the commercial level. So obviously there will be a lot of yeah, I think questions, that, hiccups. Because the issue with like fast charging like that is like, you know, when you charge and discharge, usually you get thing, like micro cracks that just kind of kill the batteries like lifespan. Yeah. So um, yeah. And then capacity drops over time and things like that. So I've, I've heard a few stories like this, but this one, Maybe it's a bit better because it's Harvard back, but that's all I'm hanging my hat on because yeah. usually what happens is like there's there's a whole host of problems. Like once you get over that, is it cheap enough to mass man, mass produce? And yeah, so anyway, um, keep going. Yeah, so so they have uh, gotten uh, permission from, sorry, <clears throat> um, they've gotten permission from Harvard's tech uh, department office to produce these batteries. Uh, and that they previously showed off prototype batteries that have between 5,000 and 10,000 cycles. Um, the conventional batteries typically have a life of 2,000 to 3,000 cycles. Um, and the creator of the battery also claims that um, it's, it's challenging, obviously, to build an environmentally friendly technology this this quickly, uh, but that 37% of Americans who own do not have a garage at home. So I think even if you produce um, this at a, at a mass level straight away, it's it's probably going to cost a lot because there isn't enough to deploy to the mass yet already. So I think they're still kind of taking it slow, um, but full, electri full electrification of a car um, is, the, is the most meaningful measure to tackle climate change. There's a need for batteries that'll suit the needs of the, of the customers. Uh, when people start using electric vehicles in large numbers, um, it must take as long as to recharge a battery part vehicle as it does to refill one that runs on fossil fuels. So according to several, Studies as well using electric cars can reduce the global greenhouse gas emissions up to 16%. So obviously they're going at a very, um, from the climate change just, angle I, as well. I just, I just have a lot of questions. Like three, if you, I don't know how big the battery capacity is, but if you're charging it in three minutes, like what kind of current are you pumping through that? And like, where are you going to get this, this kind of power from? And I think that's, that's the question that they're, they're probably asking themselves as well. Okay. Number one. And number two, what is this made out of? Like, is there any clues as to what, what component, like, is it still lithium? Is it some kind of salt? Or I'll have to find that out for okay. you. Okay. So. Yeah. This is, this is definitely a video that I want to uh, look into because that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I think, I think, like I said, the, the, the Harvard university backing it mm. gives it the credibility. But, but then again, Harvard was involved in Theranos. So <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> is even better because now you can make more videos when it crashes and burns. <laughs> oh, hopefully not. Hopefully not because we want solutions like this. Um, so I guess watch out for a potential video on this from, from Cold Fusion. Um, one other interesting story was about Figma, uh, which got acquired by Adobe for $20 billion. Mm -hmm. that, that's a huge, huge amount. So for those who don't know, uh, Figma has over the last 10 years been a pioneer in product design on the web. Um, so along the way, it has amassed millions of users um, and has a loyal student following as well. So there's like different Figma design tools that you can use for mostly 
um, uh, you know, the product design or even digital design and things of that sort, UI, UX as well. Um, and they actually had a built almost a, a cult following that didn't like Adobe. So there's lots, lots of memes and things like that. It's, you know, like, oh, you know, like it's Figma versus Adobe kind of thing. Uh, and then Adobe comes in and announces that they'll acquire Figma for $20 billion. Uh, so that's... Uh, Interesting. Uh, the the interesting, more interesting part of it was when they announced it. They said that Adobe is deeply committed to keeping Figma operating autonomously. And you know how those sentences yeah, turn face, out. Facebook, <laughs> we're going to keep Instagram independent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I read that sentence, I was like, "Oh, that's such a typical, you know, line from yeah, a corporate like takeovers. Takeovers. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to leave it alone. The next minute, it's like pay subscriptions, like cra- it. crashing all the time." <laughs> But uh, I guess for Adobe to value Figma at $20 billion mm. says a lot about how Figma has been operating or, or, or the quality of their product has been for this this niche users of, of designers, right? But I guess they're not paying just for Figma. Well, I, I guess if it's what you're saying, like they're paying for those people as well that are- Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's what I mean. And, and essentially- Going forward, it'll be interesting to see how um, how they use these these tools to actually build even a, a wider wider kind of um, base of designers because people probably because the Adobe's been getting a little bit of a um, little bit okay a uh, lot of uh, flack man a lot of flack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go on, go on. I can't this talk enough about hard. their software. Why? Why in different Adobe softwares are the shortcuts different? Like it makes no sense. It's like control shift Z for one and then just control Z for the other. And it's just like, you know, things are so clunky and, and stupidly slow for no reason. Like you're scrolling across a timeline. Um, I have this, I have this thing where like every time I trim something or increase a, a, a um, a value point of like audio or something, it, it cuts, mm. like it just like does these little stutters and like it, it's just, you, you can't fix it. You just got to live with it. And then, you know, the the complete, like I had a crashing of a video I was exporting for, for the latest video, the Google AI brain one. It had this error where it says like unknown, blah, 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 all these jumbled numbers. And then it said at this time code. And then I was like, that could mean anything. So then I did it again and then it just works. And it's, and it's like these unforced errors that are unpredictable are the, the worst kind of headaches you can have in a software. And it's been going on for over a decade. It, like everything you can imagine, there's like so many different forums saying like, why still hasn't this been fixed? It's been five years. Like, yeah, I, I, they just don't care anymore. Um, so that's kind of the corporate image that I have of Adobe. Um, so all the best to the Figma lovers out there. <laughs> There was a good good thirty second uh, there where you just uh, completely ruined the hopes of any Figma lover. You're all crying right now. Sorry, Figma users. Uh, well, what can you do? Twenty billion money. Sport, money speaks. Um, so um, this one's a bit different. Uh, that I just wanted to have a discussion with you because you, you know you're a creator. You know a certain creator as well um, who recently. Uh, launched a brick and mortar store of his burger line. Oh. So, so Mr. Beast, uh, Jimmy, so he um, came up with uh, the Beast Burger, I think around the, the pandemic time. And it's a very interesting story where the, the Beast Burger just has pretty much is, is its own company and, and, and it, it's been doing really successful. 
uh, run over the last couple of years, so much so that he's he's opened a, a brick and mortar store. And I think he broke the record for the most burgers sold in a yeah, day. He said that, yeah, which is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, to think that you know a, a YouTube creators opened a brick and mortar store about burgers, and he's breaking records like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the question, though, that I have for you is: Do you think in the next 15, 20, 25 years? Individual companies like this, which are career-driven or not, would actually be facing against big traditional companies like McDonald's? Mm. That is a good question, but I think it's so hard to tell because this is so new. Um, What I would think is that it would have like a cult following um, and then like say say if it's it's fifteen years from now, Jimmy's moved on, is not doing it's not doesn't even own a thing anymore. He's it's doing whatever, maybe some I don't know. He, he could do anything. I don't know. Still giving away money. Yeah, I don't know what he could be doing. But yeah, um I, I'm I'm sure that the the brand will take on a life of its own. Even people that don't know Jimmy will just know, oh, this place is has this kind of vibe and whatnot. Um so it, it would have something like that kind of effect, but to get on the scale of McDonald's, which is like in every country, um, you know, everyone, the Golden Arches is like probably the number four recognised image in the world. I think that's that's kind of a different league. So it could be like middle ground, like Chipotle, which we don't even have here in Australia, I'm pretty sure. But you hear about it, you kind of know. Um, that's that's just a random guess. I'd, I'd, anything could happen really, but I'm, I'm just thinking it might be a middle, middle level. Yeah, um- I think uh, the reason why I pose that question is because more and more of these brands uh, that are led by big creators uh, or individual uh, people with with lots of audiences um, seem to be doing really really well, uh, and and they they've built like businesses that, like you said, is almost independent from the creator, mm-hmm. um, and they go on to become a, take a life of its own, continue to do it, and then I think that's a better approach because again, like you said, if the creator doesn't want to be involved in still making videos, that's still a business opportunity that keeps on running on its own. And one, and I think someone made a video or I think it was a, a Q and a type kind of thing where someone was asked this question and they mentioned that uh, they posed another question is that, what do you think is harder to do? Is it harder to make a good burger or is it harder to amass a following of millions and millions of people? And generally, like if, say, Coca-Cola or McDonald's were to become a content production company, they won't succeed. You just know <laughs> that they'll never succeed. And But for some reason, the opposite, there is a lot of successful stories like this. And as you said, still early days, this is still new days. Uh, but in the next four or five years, if the e-commerce or the commerce line of things with creators is still growing and growing and growing, where the biggest creators actually go down this path, you could probably see like uh, yeah. I, some I think, pos- threat. I think, I think the thing is they have something that these massive corporations could never have. And it's like an actual personality. These people who follow them and are buying these products that they've seen this person grow on YouTube, they, they have this relationship, they tune into every video and that's extremely powerful. Like, you know, you, you couldn't have Ronald McDonald <laughs> run a YouTube channel and expect expect that to, to take off because it's just like we know he's the, the creation of a corporation. Like these are genuine people that are doing what they love and then they mass this following and happen to steer it in another, another direction. And I think that 
the power of that remains like the full unleashed potential of that remains to be seen. So, um, and I, and I guess for a lot of these other things, they, they also have to make sure that the products are good. Like that's, you know, if, if the burgers tasted like dirt, then it's not going to last very long. So I, I think it's, yeah, two sides of the coin. And I think the, the counter to being able to de- develop like, you know, full on personalities for these brands is how they have ambassadors or, um, mascots or something. Mascots, uh, or even like, you know, um, celebrities who, who, uh, vouch Subway, for them. Jared Fogel. Sorry. Was this? <laughs> I said Subway, Jared, Fo- Jared Fogel. Remember that guy with the glasses? He was fat and he ate the Subway and he became the ambassador for Subway. Do you remember? Uh, uh, rings a bell. Okay. Anyway, but, but he got he got uh, he's in jail. At the moment. That's another story. But that doesn't sound like a very good uh, sponsorship deal. I mean, did he go to jail for eating Subway? No. Uh, it was um, how should I say uh, underage essay. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. Maybe let's not go down that path. <laughs> uh, but but other other stories like you know like uh, the way that they would generally do is that okay, say Mr. Beast is is popular among certain demographic. Cadbury could come in and be like, okay, you know, let's have him as a as as the face of our company, right? So that's how they have used yeah. traditional celebrities in the past. Um, but then. I guess the next step for that from that would be then you know how they have this original content um, that a lot of these these companies would try to make with influencers or or like yeah, creators that and they yeah. never work out yeah. either and and I think about it quite frequently is how like why does didn't YouTube originals work out for example right like like it just made such logical evolutionary sense for the platform to think that oh we've got all these creators in house great but then you you bring them out of that setting have an original setting it's a paid uh, you know it's a, it's a paid setup well i think that that's it it's a paid setup so i think Basically, the expectation of YouTube is everything that you get is homegrown content and free. But when you kind of put money in the middle of that and say you've got to pay to see this, then people are like, eh. I but, could then, just. but then Patreon works for a lot of these no, creators. It, it, it does, but this is like, it's like a Netflix subscription or whatever. It's like the kind of content that you're expecting is it's different, different when you pay for it. Like right. this is it's so close. It's, you know, a little more professional and polished, which maybe if it isn't what you wanted for YouTube anyway. I, and I think that's probably the keys that they sort of cut you off there. But I think that's probably where the people go, like, you know, almost subconsciously, I don't want to see these people out of that setting to completely like, you know, polished and professional and almost like a pseudo TV kind of setup. Yeah. Uh, and I think when you put those two things together, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it. So uh, yeah, it does make perfect logical sense, but I think it's just like taking something that was familiar and kind of pushing it away into something that's like not the demand isn't there. So. Yeah, and I think for a lot of the um, a lot of the creators appearing in these in these uh, places, I think they also the the idea of traditional media and appearing traditional media uh, outlets. Uh, almost feels like an achievement or at least used to feel like an achievement in the past. Um, it's, it's, it's quite paradoxical because yeah. you've built 
like a huge following. And then all of a sudden you get called up by a movie studio or a TV channel or newspaper and you make an appearance there. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I think I've made it, but- It's backwards in, it's in a way. All, yeah. Like, and I think that's just the legacy mindset that we exactly. have. It's like TV and news, once you've made it to TV, that's that's well. But you could be getting way more viewers exactly. online than, than in TV. And the whole idea of YouTube is- it was to almost uh, topple that or or, mm. or you know rival that idea of, of legacy consumption of content, right? Mm. So it's quite interesting how the mindset works for a lot of the a lot of the creators and stuff. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting discussion. We, we would have. Um, I had a, had this question when I thought about when I saw saw some of those those numbers that Mr. Beast has, had done with his with his um, with his outlet. Mm. Uh, just made me think. Like, like I think we are at least even if the if if. He doesn't, you know, take over McDonald's for good. Uh, there will be some level of of threat that it'll pose um, to some of these big, big uh, you traditional. Think? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, uh, I, I think it'll because you're taking away people from some of those areas, right? And he also has festivals, which does mm. chocolate bars. So, uh, and I think, like I said, like other creators have done this, like in the makeup world and in other areas as well. So, mm. I think there will be some level of threat to some traditional companies over the next five, 10 yeah, years. Some, but I guess- Maybe, maybe not enough to- Yeah, because like you've got to think, you know, non-English speaking countries and like whatever, like McDonald's um, you know, has a has a foothold there, but Mr. Yeah. Beast is like, who, you know, might be like, who's that? Yeah. So how many su- subscribers? Like close to a mil- hundred? hundred mil. Yeah. yeah. And then McDonald's, like everyone knows then that's like multiple billions of people. That yeah. And I think on, on, uh, on, on final point as well, um, the record that he broke of the most burgers being sold, you got to also take into, into account that how much of that is driven by the fact that he's still a super active Mr. Beast, you know, the one of the biggest creators on the platform. Oh, that's, I think that's solely what it is. Exactly. Mainly, so, uh, yeah. mainly at least. Um, and, and how do, how would that look differently 10, 15 years from now? Right. So I think, I think that would be the, even though the, the brand's different to him in some ways, mm. um, and it doesn't involve him in, in a lot of ways. It'll still still a big driver right now, mm. and unless yeah, it'll, it, create a product by itself in the next 10, 15 years is going to be the challenge. So mm. yeah, I don't know. But one thing, if if Jimmy ever watches this, is that when are you bringing it to Australia, man? Yeah, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll send this little portion of the video to you, Jimmy. Bring it to Australia, Beast Burgers, we need it. Beast Burgers in Perth, (laughs) we're going to try it and we're going to do like a taste test review. That's it. (laughs) I think that's the end of the show. All right. Well, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And um, until next time, have a good one.